Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Listen Closely with John and Chris. I'm John out here on the East Coast, and I'm thinking I'm joined by someone out there on the West Coast. Am I not? It is I, Chris, out here on the West Coast, John. How are you? Oh, I'm just wonderful. And yourself? I'm uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm uh, I'd say I'm about a quarter of the way to the Michael McDonald full beard, um, which I've started since the pandemic began. So I feel good about that. But the pandemic began in March. You're only a quarter of the way. Fortunate uh, incidents where I've tried to tried to uh, kind of neaten it up and taken off a bit much, and you you know you lose weeks when you do that, man. Yeah, I mean, you, you're striving for the Michael McDonald, but you end up with the George Michael. <laughs> the, the George Michael, I mean, that's the greatest stubble of all time, let's be honest. I had that one summer, and uh, there are still pictures of me floating around somewhere of that stubble, and it was uh, it was amazing. Peak stubble, yeah. It, it, it really was, it really was. But, <laughs> but speaking of, of peak, I think, uh, all right. This week is really going to uh, do a deep dive on an artist. Well, listen, an artist who seems to be on a, a 40 or 50. But uh, this album in particular really represented such a monumental watershed moment in his career. Do you want to do the honors? Oh, absolutely. Um, Good. We're going <laughs> to we're going to go to. Uh, June of 1984, um, this man was, he was, he was a big deal coming into this album, but after this album, he blew up like few people ever have. Um, like, so after a buffet. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the man is Bruce Springsteen and the album is born in the USA. Yes. And, and, you know, I'm going to interrupt you right there for a moment. This always does oh, bother me. Wow. Okay. Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. I I know, I know. And I the E Street is I mean, they are tremendous and incredible, and I, I apologize for that because they deserve every bit of uh of the credit that they that, that you're giving them here. Yeah. Even though Bruce wrote all the songs in the album. He did, but I mean E Street adds so much and you know, this is uh this album, the story of this album is really an interesting one that I think you know, outside of, uh, you know, big Bruce fans, probably the average, uh, average listener doesn't know. And, you know, Bruce in 1980, Bruce had done the river, uh, which went to number one, you know, he, he was a, he was a big star. Um, but I think probably had, had a more concentrated fan base, um, you know, and, and he gets back, it goes back to work in, uh, 82 and he's, he makes these demos um, that will become his next album, Nebraska, um, which is Nebraska's a great album. It's a quiet, it's sort of a country road of an album, you know, very personal, very quiet. Um, it's kind of goes, like the state of Nebraska, you know, like it wasn't exactly. He wasn't going to name the album Las Vegas. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, Bruce goes into the studio with the E Street, though, for what end up being called the Electric Nebraska Sessions, where they're going to take these acoustic demos and, uh, you know, and turn them into an album. And 
it just doesn't quite work. Uh, the album is, it's a little too quiet. It's a little too personal. Um, and eventually what they end up doing is, is cleaning up the demos and, uh, you know, selecting a bunch of them and going with that for the album. Um, but, but not all is lost because about two thirds of born in the USA emerges from songs that were, uh, created during or for the electric Nebraska sessions, including born in the USA, um, you know, and a bunch of, of other hits there. And so you get to June 84, this thing gets released and you've got seven top 10 songs, John. I mean, we've, we, this, this album is almost like, you know, could be a greatest hits album for another artist. You've got dancing in the dark. You've got glory days. You've got my hometown. You've got Bobby Jean. I mean, it's staggering. It is. It is. It's, uh, you, you said it best, you know, Bruce had been incredibly successful up until this point, but this album and the success of this album, and I think in conjunction with MTV, catapulted him into mega stardom. Uh, we're talking rivaling the likes of, of Michael Jackson and Madonna and Prince in the mid 1980s. Absolutely. He became to the whole world. He became one word, you know, you could say, you could just say Bruce and everyone in the world, you know, you weren't talking about Hornsby, um, as much as or I like Bruce Cockburn, <laughs> the Canadian Gordon Light or the uh, Canadian <laughs> superstar. Yeah. Um, exactly. No, it's, yeah. and, and you, you say one word and it wasn't even Bruce. It was, boss exactly the boss exactly and, and that that's the amazing thing this is seventh studio album yeah. uh so you know there's artists who have been around for 20 years and haven't put out seven studio albums uh so he was incredibly prolific and incredibly successful but again this his seventh album in probably the 10th year of his career 10th or 11th year of his uh his professional um musical career finally cements him legend status yeah and it also turns him you know when bruce emerges for this album um people will remember the cover i mean the, the cover is bruce's ass in some tight blue jeans um, with the red baseball cap sticking, uh, sticking in the pocket, folded up the white t-shirt, um, you know, and Bruce had, uh, Bruce had hit the gym and Bruce came out a little bit jacked for this. He wasn't kind of the, you know, scraggly leather coat guy, uh, from born to run. Bruce was like a legit sex symbol. Um, at it, this point. Yeah, I know it. It, it worked and it, it, you know, it would subsequently land him, uh, his, his first, or was it his first or second wife, uh, who was a supermodel slash fitness guru, uh, named, uh, Julianne Phillips. Uh, right. Right. And, and while the marriage didn't last, I, I suspect, you know, well, I don't think it was just because he was jacked that, that it landed him, uh, <laughs> or I think cause he had a lot of money probably helped. But, you know, incidentally, she's the woman in the 38 special video for What If I'd Been the One. Is that right? I love that song. That's 
we might have to do an entire oh, episode devoted to that song, <laughs> uh, which yeah. I would be totally on board with. But yeah, yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right in that he he changes his image a little bit. But what I like is that he doesn't go full on like he doesn't go full on '80s with his image. You know, you're not going to see mm. Bruce suddenly wearing mascara. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's or or suddenly dressing like Sonny Crockett. It's mm-hmm. he still looks like Bruce Springsteen. He still acts totally. like Bruce Springsteen. He just looks a little better. Yeah, and we were talking the other day. Maybe you could, uh, you know, build on that. Maybe I could. Bruce, Bruce becomes he becomes a star that rivals the big stars of those days. You know, Michael Jackson, Prince, Madonna, Cyndi Lauper. But there's a big difference, which is that Bruce is not, you know, 23, 24, 25 years old. Bruce at this point is 35-ish. Yeah, I think he was 30. I think he's born in uh, 49. So, yeah, that, that would put him at 35. Absolutely. Yeah. Which gives so, yeah, him just a different feel, right? It does. It makes him far more mature than your average MTV rock god in 1984. Uh, you know, if you were to do the math, you would say, okay, well, the dudes from Duran Duran are 23 at this time, maybe. Uh, so is Madonna. So is, uh, Prince, uh, Michael Jackson, you know, they're all mid twenties. They're kids for crying out loud. Uh, but this guy's a little more established, but he's suddenly becoming this wildly successful, uh, artist. And it's, it's just, it's mind blowing. This is a colossally important album, uh, both in rock and roll history, but particularly in, in Bruce Springsteen's career. And I'll confess, I don't necessarily love the album, uh, but yeah. there's, a reason, there's a reason why we're discussing it on this episode. And it's a damn good album, despite me not necessarily loving it, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Well, you know, I, I mean, listen, I, I think we might have some disagreements on this album. I think, you know, oh, yeah. a lot of time when we're pretty insane. Shit's going to get uh, ugly. I mean, 36 years of friendship were going on. And uh, the question is, are we going to make it through this, this episode? Uh, or does it all just blow up in public on the global <laughs> phenomenon that is listen closely with Chris and John and Chris? Um, you know what? The listeners are going to have to listen closely for another 15 to 20 minutes to find out. I guess. <laughs> they will. They will. Uh, By the way, I will say this much. Yeah, yeah please. I was, no, go on. Go on. Well, I, I will say this much. Look, it's a great album. Uh, I think my issue with it is that I've just heard so many of these songs too many damn times to the point that I, I get very little out of some of them. Uh, well, I mean, that's whereas if you were to compare fault. it, well, it's not the album's fault. No, but if you were to compare it to Tunnel of Love or The River, uh, I'm constantly discovering new things on those albums, but it's okay. I, I, okay. I like the album. Okay. I don't okay. love the album, but I will be the first to admit that this is start to finish an incredibly impressive album. And yeah. one of the things we had uh, discussed the other day, you and I, which I find really interesting and really important about this album 
you look at the artists who hit their stride in the 60s and 70s in rock and roll and really made it big, uh, the nadir of their career is typically the 1980s because they might have experienced some commercial success, but the music is just, you know, you listen to it now and it's dated, it's, it's tacky, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's heavy on the synth. And I mean, think about any 60s or 70s rock and roll god and, and, it, and that's what happened. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean Paul McCartney, Elton John, David Bowie, Rod Stewart, uh, Queen even. And this was not the case with Springsteen. He actually hits his stride at a time when these others are kind of uh, faltering a little bit. Yeah, I think that's so true. The album holds up very, very well, despite the fact that it came out in 1984. It does, you know, and and I think it's kind of interesting because we we had planned on doing this album, we had scheduled this ways back, but I think, you know, people might look at us doing born in the USA right now and think, Oh, are you having some knee jerk ultra patriotic reaction to everything going on in the country? <laughs> um, and that's because a lot of people uh, completely misread the song born in the USA and, you know, the, the album as a result um, as some sort of patriotic anthem. And, you know, really uh, last thing I'll say about it. I mean, it, I mean, Ronald Reagan, right? There's a story he wanted this song to be the theme for his re-election campaign in 1984. Um, and Bruce wasn't having it. Um, and it was a stupid move because, by Reagan's campaign because in many ways, the song in this album, uh, it's an indictment of America, a country that, you know, was still coming out of a brutal, unpopular war, horrible treatment of its veterans, um, you know, presidential scandal, resignation, terrible economy, you know. Um, and so I think that's, you know, part of what holds up about this album is this wasn't some like kind of poppy, uh, you know, just, uh, what am I trying to say? This wasn't some kind of momentary pop sensation. This was a pretty deep album. Um, a very deep album that got into some real issues. And I think that's part of its staying power. I agree. It's a deep album lyrically. I think, you know, musically there are moments when you listen to it and you say, this is 1984, sure, but much sure. like what we said a few moments ago with the way Bruce looked, uh, it, you know, he cleaned up his act physically, but he still looked like Bruce Springsteen and mm-hmm. they sort of, <laughs> 80s up the sound on this album, but it still mm-hmm. sounds like Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. And the um, critics raved about the album upon its release, and they still rave, rave about the album. Um, it was voted fifth greatest rock album of all time in a oof. Critics' Choice poll of 81 critics. Uh, now, that was back in 1987, so it was still a little more fresh in everyone's mind, but still. In 2003, uh, Rolling Stone magazine ranked it number 85 on their list of top 500 greatest albums of all time. Uh, so, and even upon its release, critics were quite positive 
in their uh, review of this album. It, it earned five stars, five out of five from Rolling Stone, uh, four out of four from Chicago Tribune. It was widely praised, and I think rightly so. Yeah, yeah. Now that, that being said, let's let's jump into the picks here. Um, oh, the gloves are coming off. That's right. Let's do this, baby. Let's really do this. What's your what's your nadir of this album? What what doesn't work for you? So bear with me here. Uh, I kind of stray a little bit with the with the nadir, and uh, Bruce supposedly recorded dozens of songs for this album. And in my opinion, the single best song of those sessions never made it on the album. And I, I think that's what's bothered me for years about this. The song is called Cynthia, and it is classic, catchy Bruce singing about a girl. You know, he always sings about these girls with very 1980s middle American names, right? <laughs> Cynthia, Sherry, Candy, Kitty. Right. Uh, I'd love it if for once he would sing a song about like a waspy sounding woman, like, you know, Logan baby, Brooke darling. <laughs> but it didn't happen. Yeah. That would be yeah, so exactly. fun, Bruce. That would be so. <laughs> right. It'd be a sellout at that point. But right. no, uh, um, Cynthia, I-, I saw Bruce play uh giant stadium. It was uh labor day weekend of 2003 it was the last of 10 shows he did that summer at Giant Stadium. And he opened with Cynthia. I had never heard it before. And I thought to myself, my God, this is incredible. And I would find out after the concert what the song was. And I would find out that it was an outtake. And I thought to myself, only Bruce can open a concert and get, what, 75, 80,000 people going by playing an outtake. And uh, it's it's just such an amazing song. You can actually see this exact performance on YouTube. Just go to uh, look up Springsteen, Cynthia, August 31st, 2003. You'll see it. I think you'll love this song. And uh, it's got all the trademark Bruce stuff. And uh, to me, it, it's a crime that it didn't make it onto the album because I would put it, that would be my uh, zenith right now. Okay. I spoke in my piece. Interesting. Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't even think I know Cynthia. Um, uh, most people do not. Wow, I've got to. I've got to listen to that now. Um, you know, I went a little more, uh, a little more traditional, straightforward here. Um, what do you got? Give me what you got. Well, I, I just want to preface it by saying, finding a, a nadir on an album like this, is, <laughs> it's really hard. Uh, I mean, you got seven top ten hits. Born, you got born in the USA. You got. Seven on, top ten hits. Yeah. Wow. wow. I'm on fire. No surrender. Bobby Jean. I'm going down. Glory days. Dancing in the dark. My hometown. Uh, and so this song, you know, this is not by any means uh, criticism of this song. I just don't think it's as good as the other ones. And that's Darlington County. Um, oh, I agree fully. I agree with you. It's it's fine. You know, it's... it's uh, Basically, two city boys come come down to Darlington, uh, flashing around some cash, uh, hitting on some young ladies, and um, one of them gets arrested, and uh, the other one's you know kind of hauling ass out of town. Um, 
and it's fun and it's uh you know it's kind of a, a good rocking song but um yeah it just doesn't you know a lot of these songs have so much weight to them uh that that one you know i can i can take a pass on that one I, I would agree with you. In fact, as I was listening to the, this album several times this past week, I was really hoping uh, that one of those I'm not as familiar with was going to jump out at me. And uh, I thought maybe it would be in County. Uh, and it just, it, it wasn't. I, the song does nothing for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, we made it through the first one without any uh, any serious disagreements here. Let's... Let's go to the next. Let's go to the sleeper pick. This is the one that uh, maybe doesn't grab you at first, but then later on you get to know it a little better. Um, tough to come up with a sleeper, I would say, on this album. It was, because I don't think there is a such thing as a sleeper on this album. I mean, maybe Darlington County. Uh, but what I ultimately went with was one of the somewhat more successfully, uh, commercially successful songs on the album, but one that had never really done anything for me. Uh, prior to giving the album a few listens this week. And that's the second track, Cover Me. Hmm. Uh, again, never really wowed me as a song. Mm-hmm. And it, it it did have some a, a good deal of commercial success. But I don't know. I really liked it this time. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say I love it. Uh, but it, I like its placement on the album, if that makes any sense. It works really well as the second song on the album. And uh, I I don't think it's an amazing song, but I think that in the context of this album, it sounds really good. Yeah, I think that's a good pick. That's a good pick because it's, you know, people know that song, but it's definitely, you know, not talked about anywhere near as much as uh, three quarters of the other songs here. Um, It's a great song. I agree. It's it's the perfect spot for it too. It's kind of, the album's getting going, you know, it's got the hard guitar. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of ramping up at that point. Where'd you go? So I went with, uh, I went with downbound train. Interesting. Which, um, you know, that one, there's maybe four songs on here that I think you can possibly pick as a sleeper. Um, all the other ones are, are top 10 hits. Yeah. Uh, so yeah downbound train i like because you start off with born in the usa one of the great opening tracks of all time um you get cover me then you get darlington county and working on the highway which are two songs um which they're not that they're easy going songs but they're they have a lightness to them uh you know <laughs> uh we talked about darlington county working on the highway um you know, that one, that one's sort of, that's the one about, about a guy who ends up running away with an underage girl, right? I believe that is, yes. Yeah, it's sort of the Boz Skaggs, Georgia thing where he, uh, you know, he, it's got all of the, the classic Bruce uh, moments, you know, going to the, it's got the father who doesn't want the daughter to run away. She runs away. Anyway, um but then you get to downbound train and it takes a little bit of a darker turn. And I think we start to get into some more of the heavy stuff, which that's my jam, baby. Um, you know, it's a song about a guy who, uh, 
he had a job. I had a girl. I had something going, mister, in this world. I got laid off down at the the lumber yard. Our love went bad. Times got hard. You know, kind of classic, simple Bruce country blues type. uh, Telling a story. Yeah, yeah. It's got just some really, some powerful imagery, you know, the end of it. I think, I think it's a dream um, if I'm reading it right, but he's basically, you know, last night I heard your voice, you were crying, crying, you were so alone. You said your love had never died. And he goes running back to her and ends up busting into the room and the room's dark. Our bed was empty. Then I heard that long whistle whine of the train and I dropped to my knees, hung my head and cried. Um, You know, it's, it's the classic uh, guy left, but it's also got, got these, which these overtones of like economic struggle in rural America um, that goes on throughout the album. You know, everything goes to shit for this guy when he loses his job. Um, Do you think that the girl in the song is crying because of the situation with the guy or is she crying because she has a real middle American 1980s name? You know, (laughs) is her name Donna? (laughs) Donna. And is she sitting there looking at, you know, she looking in the mirror thinking, I really wish my name was Brooke. I wish my name was Morgan. Heather. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know if anybody's ever asked Bruce that, but, uh, but it's a great song. I, I really like that one. And it really jumped off, jumped out, uh, this, this listen, um, which, uh, now it's going to bring us to the Zenith. Yeah, so... I think I know where you're going. I think I know where you're going. Yeah, because let me say that, again, my issue with this album is the songs are just played over and over again. The title track, I know you're a fan of it. The title track does nothing for me. Uh, A couple of the other hits, uh, Glory Days, does nothing for me. But somewhere on side two is pure magic it is Bruce and the E Street Band at their finest. You know, you know what I'm going to say. So why don't you just say it? Because I know you want to guess. <laughs> You're going for another one of those great uh, female names. You're going with Bobby Jean. I am. Absolutely. Yep. To me, not only is this the finest song on the album, this is one of Bruce's finest. It's, it's your typical you know, Bruce rocker, catchy as all hell. Uh, with, with the infectious guitar chords and the keyboards. Uh, and there's something a little bit more emotional about this song and something a little bit more moving about this than, I don't know, Sherry Darling or uh, Out in the Street. And I'm referring to a couple songs off the river. And interestingly enough, you think the song's about a woman, uh, but do you know what inspired this song? What? About halfway through recording the album, Born in the USA, uh, Steve Van Zandt informed Bruce that he was going to leave the Street Band after the completion right. of this album. Right. He wanted to pursue other things. I think maybe he was a little burnt out. And that inspired Bruce to write Bobby Jean. So on the surface, you think it's a love song about a woman, uh, but Bobby Jean is Steve Van Zandt. Wow, that what's, that makes a lot of sense. Very last... Really, it has more of a friendship uh, tone it to does. it. 
it explains that line that we've always thought was a little bit strange, right? The, <laughs> we like the same music. We like the same friends. We like the same clothes. Yeah, <laughs> you like the same clothes. That's uh, yeah. okay. And, and I love the very simple line at the end. What, is, what closes out the song? He says, I'm not calling. Uh, I'm calling one more. Or change your mind. But to say I miss say you, that, Say that part again, John. Luck. He, he says at the very end there, uh, I'm calling one last time not to change your mind, just to mm. say I miss you, babe. Good luck. Goodbye, Bobby Jean. Wow. And it has the most amazing sax solo on the outro from the late Clarence Clemens. To me, this is quintessential E Street Band right here. Totally, totally. And that's my Zena. Yeah. That's an incredible song. Bobby Jean is incredible. Um, and you're right. It's one of their, it's one of their best. I can't, uh, I can't dispute that. I can't dispute that. Um, what did you go? Yeah, Something the, tells me it's not Bobby Jean. It's not Bobby Jean. You know, when I went back and listened to this, I didn't know what I was going to come up with. Um, I thought it might be Bobby Jean going in because I, like you have loved that one for a long time. Um, and, you know, I thought maybe my hometown, I really, I think that's a really underrated one that's kind of gotten lost. You know, Glory Days seems to get so much more play. My hometown is like the more somber version of Glory Days, I think. Yes. Uh, and, um, but I, you know, I thought maybe, maybe it'll be one of the slightly deeper cuts that'll really grab me. Um, it ended up, that what grabbed me was the most popular one of all, which I don't, I don't like going with, with that normally, but I just can't deny the brilliance of born in the USA. Wow. I know you're not a huge fan. I'm not think, at all a fan. I think this is Bruce, such a fantastic example of Bruce Springsteen songwriting. Um, you know, the name of this podcast is Listen Closely, so let's uh, let's listen closely to this one. You know, we start out, um, that first verse, there, there's an image in there. You end up like a dog that's been beat too much till you spend half your life just covering up. What, what a fantastic piece of imagery that is right there. Um, and I think, you know, I should have started by saying that this song is it's such a Trojan horse of a song. It became, to many people, an anthem of... American pride. Um, you know, it has that anthemic feel in the chorus. Um, but this is, I mean, this is about a guy who comes back from Vietnam. He can't get a job. He can't get his old job back. Um, everything's kind of going to crap and it's him just trying to hang on basically. Um, you know, I think he does so many interesting things lyrically. The second verse, got in a little hometown jam, so they put a rifle in my hand, sent me off to a foreign land uh, to go and kill the yellow man. What, the word that's kind of jumping out there that's not on the page that rhymes with all of that is Vietnam. And you know, Viet, you know Bruce would say Vietnam. He wouldn't say Vietnam. No, of course um, but I, I think I just think that's so brilliant because he could he could spell it out so much more blatantly, 
but that's kind of the reality that I think vets were living in when you came back. It's like this thing that people didn't want to talk about, um, but it's just there and it's like haunting them. Um, I, I think, you know, later on when he talks about, um, I had a brother at Quezon fighting off the Viet Cong, um, you know, up to this point, the the verses have all been, not to get all English major on you here, but they've been pairs of rhyming couplets, right? So you get like, come back home to the refinery, hiring man says, son, if it was up to me, went down to see my VA man. He said, son, don't you understand? This one, you get, I had a brother at Quezon fighting off the Viet Cong. They're still there. He's all gone. And then there should be a fourth line there. There should be another rhyme, but it's not. It just, it cuts to the instrumentation there. And I think it just leaves you hanging on this very simple, they're still there, he's all gone. It just leaves it like, it's a dagger. Uh, do you know what I'm saying? Like they're... I, I do. I don't deny that lyrically the song is amazing and there's so many layers to it. But don't you find musically that it just kind of like, it wears on you. It's a little like obnoxious. Uh, I don't find it obnoxious. I mean, I think that's part of it is that the music is so, again, like that hook, it seems so triumphant. Um, and I think that's part of what's really cool about it is that, you know, it's, it's the disconnect between this seemingly uber patriotic song and actually what's going on underneath. Um, which I think is, you know, that's what he's saying. He's saying like, you know, all this talk about how, how everything is great and America, this and America, that, like there's a lot of shit going on under here. Um, that's getting obscured by, by politicians and, and all of that. Um, I really thought you were going to go with dancing in the dark. I thought about it. I thought, I mean, that's, and, and I'd have, I'd have been okay with that because I think dancing in the dark, despite it's, commercial success uh, I think it's really a moving moving song about a man sort of approaching a certain time in his life and getting to dance with Courtney Cox on stage at a concert that was her debut yeah right yeah, yeah I I love that song I, I think it you know Bruce wrote that after his producer told him you've got like 75 songs for this album and none of them are going to be a hit uh and so he ran back and wrote that like in one night and was like, here's your friggin' hit. Um, to me, it almost doesn't fit on the album. No, it doesn't. It doesn't fit it at has, all. It's, it's a lot more eighties, a lot more synth. Um, that but it holds said, up I, well. Oh, I, I love it. I love it. I almost picked it. I, I just think born in the USA is, I just think there's so much to it. And I think you could teach a class about this song. You know, I, I, I'm just glad you didn't pick I'm Going Down. I love I'm Going Down. That's a great song. Written. Yeah. Is the uh, song about, you know, uh, Conolingus? I, I don't think so, John. I've never really looked into it that deeply, but I... Well, I you I mean, you just did a freaking English lecture on Born in the USA lyrics. I mean, we can't discuss if, if <laughs> I'm Going Down is about, you know... Yeah, well, yeah. Like I, in the Pearl Tongue? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> was it too much? Did I get too Englishy? Do you think people are going to be turned off by that? that you did. You did. You absolutely did. But whatever. You know, our our listeners are largely males in the uh, 
from the ages of, of 35 to 50. I don't think they want to hear all uh, English lecture stuff. Wow. All right. Well, look, bottom line, he captures with that song a slice of America from that period perfectly. You're talking about born in the USA, not I'm going down. Not I'm going down, no. All right, okay, very good, very good. Well, uh, we can agree to disagree. That's the beauty of this podcast. I guess, I guess, John. Um, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if you'll be getting the Christmas card for me this year. We'll see. Um, but, uh, you know, the question we always ask is, is how how much, you know, do you feel like this reflects the zeitgeist of that era. Yeah, it does. And it's a confusing sort of zeitgeist uh, in that I think you, you said it best with you had, let's face it, mid-80s, we had this surge of patriotism. Uh, so you had people adopting this as a patriotic anthem, not simply uh, uh, politicians and not simply the title track, but the entire album with the American flag uh, so it's funny because on one hand it captures that sort of patriotism, but it really shouldn't. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it does. I think it does. It's got plenty of synthesizer. Uh, it made a mega star out of its, uh, out of the band's lead singer, chief song, oh, songwriter. So yeah, I think it's, uh, I think all the elements are there for saying yes. It captures the zeitgeist. What about you? I agree. Yeah. I mean, this was like, a just synonymous with that period. Um, I think you said it quite well, um, in that Thanks. the meaning of it was sometimes distorted. Uh, but whether you take, whether you look at it from the way that people interpreted it or the way it was meant to be interpreted, either way, it, it captures that era. Um, what kind of, what kind of personal memories do you have with this one? This came out when we were seven, we had just turned seven. Yeah, I think it was, it's, it's that right there. I mean, this album was everywhere in my childhood. Uh, and it, you know, I can put it on and it takes me right back to sitting on the floor of, of, uh, the den, uh, putting on MTV. And, uh, you know, at any time I would see the dancing in the dark video. I remember in the summer of 84, there used to be a video countdown show, not on MTV. Uh, but it was, uh, they put it on like one of the other, uh, affiliate channels, not, you know, um, I think it was probably channel 11 at the time. And along with the cars magic, uh, Ooh. they would play every day the video for I'm on fire, uh, wow. which, you know, was that classic video where he, isn't Bruce like a mechanic, yes, right? He is, he is. He's underneath some some like leggy blondes car in the beginning. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I listen to this album and it, it, it's a flood of, of memories from, from being seven years old. As crazy as it is. How about you? Yeah. I think for me, uh, yeah, this was an album. I mean, I wasn't as much as I've just waxed poetic about it. Um, I maybe wasn't as into it quite as much when I was, that young, I, I remember, you know, as much as I was into things like Michael Jackson or, uh, you know, the pointer sisters, pointer sisters. Um, but I just remember that I remember there was this aura to Bruce where 
as a seven-year-old, you kind of got Prince and Cyndi Lauper and Madonna. Like, I mean, there's a whole lot of sexuality stuff there, but generally it was like fun, pop, dancing music. And with Bruce, I just always felt like there was this aura there where it was like something deeper that I didn't quite know or understand at that point that that was like very cool. You know, like Bruce was a man. (laughs) And I don't know, I just remember kind of being in awe of him. And uh, on on a lighter note, do you, you remember, I don't know what year it was, if it was 80, 84, 85, but it must have been maybe 85 or later, but the uh, Billy Crystal's Oscars song with I'm on Fire in it? I do not. Because he would do those musical montages, right? Which I used to love, yeah. Oh, they were amazing. And uh, I just remember he, <laughs> I don't know if the whole song was to the tune of I'm on Fire or if it was just one part, but the the refrain was... Oh, cable guy. Well, no, that was not Billy Crystal. I know the reference. Um, nope. That was the, in 1990s, uh, the Ben Stiller show, the short-lived Ben Stiller show. Oh, you're right. Stiller did a spot-on impression of, of uh, Springsteen. Yeah. And I guess in one of the skits, he pretends that he's been asked to write the theme song to the movie Cable Guy with Jim Carrey. <laughs> right, 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 right. And it's basically all the same lyrics to I'm on Fire, except he changes it to Cable Guy <laughs> in the refrain, which is amazing. It's incredible, yeah. Um, anyway, it's, you know, it's an iconic album. It's an amazing album. Perfect album? I'm guessing you're going to say no. I'm going to say yes. Uh, just because I don't necessarily love it doesn't mean it's not a perfect album. Yeah. Uh, you can't argue with, what did you say? How uh, Seven of the 12 songs yeah. being yeah. top 10 hits? Yeah. You, you can't argue with that. Uh, so yeah, it is a perfect album. It's not one that I will listen to frequently, uh, but it's a perfect album, in my opinion. What about you? I agree. I agree. I think it's got this cohesion to it too, you know, of like, you know, you start out with Born in the USA, you end with My Hometown. It's just like, the slice of 19, early 1980s uh, rural America that that's this one cohesive unit. It's like the truest sense of an album, I think. I agree. Yeah. I agree. All right. It's definitely worth a listen. And uh, do yourself Cynthia. Say that again? Go listen to Cynthia. Do yourself a favor. I'm definitely going to listen to Cynthia as soon as we get off here. Um, All right. Well, uh, keep listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. And uh, until then, John, you stay well. You as well. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care.